Warning! The Bone Bad Joe is intended for adults only and contains bad words and other yucky stuff that may make some people very angry. So watch out! Hi, this is Ferguson. Mike. Anthony DiGennaro. Ben Templesmith. Bo Buckley. Dan Donnelly. This is Don Maselli. And this is Drew Donkus. This is Drew Duke. And Dan Nelson. Gray. Jeff Bromley. Johanna Stokes. I'm John Wigger. Julie from 19 Nocturne Boulevard. Katrina Hill, the action flick chick. This is Keith Ledge. Kevin Donahue. Kim Poirier. This is Kyle Stevens. And this is Jim DeMonacos. And we're Kirby Crackle. Flory Beckman. Metal Mikey. Michael Allen Nelson. This is Michael Kupperman. Mike Davis of Stag Films. Mike Mignola. Molly Beck-Ferguson. This is Scott from the Disney Indiana Podcast. Neil Machino. Paul Hungerford. Rachel Bloom. Rob Housechild. Robert Arbest. Root Rod here. This is Steve. And this is Gord from the Bone Bat Show. I'm Bo Fader. And I'm Brockton McKinney. Thomas Burdinsky. Tracy T. Jen Soska. And I'm Sylvia Soska. And, and we're, we're the Twisted Twins. Vaughn from Motion Picture Massacre. Wayne Kotke. Sami Farmer here, and you're listening to a Little Dead Podcast. Place for the full frontal... Nerdity. Oh, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, nerdity. full frontal nerdity. Cool. Visit alittledead.com. Pew! Pew, pew! For the Bone Bat Podcast, where you can listen to Steve and Gord. It's a kick-ass digital broadcast where we've got dick jokes galore. Bone Bat. All the best bands are affiliated with Satan. Gentlemen, this is Crazy Uncle Randy from the Drunken Zombie Podcast, introducing you to Mephiscopheles. D-O-G-G-O-D!
what's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 66 of the Bone Bat Show. This is Steve. And this is Gord. How's it going, man? It's going good. This is kind of weird because I just spent the last two days with you, and then I hop on an airplane and I fly all the way home only to have, like, get on Skype with you and do a podcast. It's like going out on a date with someone and then... Each going to your own separate homes and then having phone sex. (laughs) (laughs) That is kind of exactly like that, isn't it? Yeah. In fact, you'd be surprised what I'm not wearing right now. (laughs) Really, in all honesty, Steve. Yes. You and I yesterday were driving, allegedly driving at random with 20 minutes to kill. And no shit. I go, hey, we got 20 minutes to kill. You say... Oh, well, let's just go over to uh, get some coffee at that McDonald's. Fine. Here, just pull over over here. You guide me like a freaking heat-seeking missile to turn around right in the parking lot that is what? An adult video arcade. (laughs) All the greater Seattle area in which, you know, you could have had me go turn around and it just, oh, we had 20 minutes to kill and here we are. Adult video arcade. Dude, we, we were south of Seattle, and there's tons of video arcades in that particular neighborhood. Really? Yes. I would think that that's the kind of business that... You can't swing a dead cat without hitting one of those, so it was actually random. I wouldn't think that a whole bunch of those businesses could exist. I mean, how many people are frequenting these arcades that are... You know, I actually have never been in one, but I'm assuming that you put in a quarter at a time. That's you got to take a lot of quarters to keep a business open. You would need to. I think it's like Oregon. You know how they don't get rid of the the whole uh, you can't pump your own gas thing because it's a great job for the high school kids. Uh, yeah. Well, I, I I think that Scrub Up Boy is also a great job for <laughs> the high school kids, and so they don't they don't take that job off the books. I see. Huh. So, like, instead of shop class, they go to, like, squeegee class? Yeah, jizz mopper. Yeah, exactly. Oh. That's a strange, <laughs> strange state you live in up there. Yeah, it, it is sometimes. Yeah. So, dude, I am fucking exhausted. This last week, I have aged. I have <laughs> left one job. I've started another job. I spent two days at a sci-fi convention. I have seen two live concerts. I'm fucking beat, and yet I'm still here for the listeners with kick-ass music. That you are. Tonight, you are listening to the mighty Mephiscopheles. It has been way too long since we've had some ska on the show, and I am absolutely thrilled that we were able to get this band for episode 66. Six. I got a question, though. Yes, sir. I mean, you always say the band, the mighty, blah, blah, blah. Yes, I do. We ever get the mighty, mighty boss tones on here? Are you? They would be indeed. They would be the mighty, mighty, mighty boss boss tones. Wow, that's a lot of mighty. You see, we only have bands on the show that kick ass. That's true. Hence the mighty. Yes, much ass is kicked by these bands. Indeed. So, dude. Dude, we spent a little time together this week. Yeah. What pisses you off? You know what pisses me off? It has nothing to do with the time we spent together. <laughs> That's good, I guess. It all goes back. It has nothing to do with you gently guiding me into the parking lot of an adult video arcade with a pocket full of quarters, I might add. It has <laughs> nothing to do with that. What it has to do with is plastic wrap. 
plastic You know, like wrap. saran wrap, that thin film, maybe not even necessarily the brand saran wrap, but that plastic wrap that okay. you put over food? Yeah. As a child, I figured that when I was a grown-up, there were just certain things that I couldn't do as a child that somehow as a grown-up I would automatically know how to do. And one of those things was use plastic wrap without it turning into just a twisted little ball of uselessness. I still cannot work plastic wrap. I take it out to put it on the, the dish to cover the marinated meat or whatever. Take it out. Inevitably, it folds over on itself. It wraps itself around my face and I can't breathe, falling to the kitchen floor and turning blue and having to cut it off with a butcher knife. It, <laughs> I, I get it falls, it sticks to the wrong shit, the places it's supposed to stick, it doesn't, the places it's not supposed to stick, it does. I cannot handle plastic wrap, still. And I'm allegedly a grown-ass man. <laughs> Hate that. It pisses me off. That sucks. Yeah. What about you? What pisses you off? You know what pisses me off? What? The fucking phone company. <laughs> yeah. So... When we got our phone in this house, we got one of those triple play packages that you got your phone and you got your cable and you got your whatever the fuck else, internet. Cell phone. Oh, yeah, all bundled together into a thing, right? And so for my new job, I had to get another phone line. And so I figure, okay, well, I'm already doing this big bass bundle. So to save money, I'll add an extra line to it, right? Big bass bundle? Big big ass bundle. Oh. I didn't stutter. I thought you said Big Bass Bundle. Well, no, I, I don't think it did. Okay. Anyway, so I figure I'm going to add a line to my previous business and thus save money. When we set everything up, it just happened to be my wife who, like, made the phone call to set up the account. So whenever we call anybody, it would have my wife's name on the caller ID. And so with, you know, my new business phone, I don't want it to say that. I want it to say me. Right. So I call and I, I try to correct this by calling the phone company. They tell me, okay, we can do it, but it'll take like five days. Uh, awesome. Good job. So we wait five days, wait a couple even longer, call it again, and it still has my wife's name on it. I'm like, son of a bitch. So I call the phone company up again and say, okay, you told me you're going to do this. What's the story? Oh, yeah, you can't do that. <laughs> what is chiseled on their computer? No, like Granite yeah. block or something? Yeah, I, I don't know what the deal is, but yeah, that's you can't change it from... The person whose account's name is on the thing. Okay, great. So just change it over to my name. Well, sir, we can't do that for, you know, just to make, to prevent fraud or anything. In order for us to do that, you'd have to come down to our offices and bring your ID and your wife would have to come down too and bring her ID. Great. It's a pain in the ass, but it is a solution. So this afternoon, tonight, my wife gets home from work. We head down to this phone place and walk in. IDs in hand, slap them down the counter. I need you to change my account to me. Guy looks at some stuff in the computer, goes, well, why do you need to do this? I said, because I need to have it in my name so that when I call for business reasons, this is my name. Yeah, we can't do that. If, oh, if we do that, we can do it, but you'll lose your phone number. Oh, my God. Right, which is already on my business cards and shit. So I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And... He says, yeah, th there's no way to do that. And I said, but this doesn't make any sense. Before, I was told that you could do it, and then you couldn't do it. And then, now this. And Julie says, well, what if I die? Are you telling me that he would have to get rid of his number? He goes, no, well, if you bring me a death certificate, I can change it. Oh, Jesus. Right, exactly. 
he goes, well, we can change it so it says, like, Julian Steve. I said, okay, can you change it so it says S.J. Holitz? Oh, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> Good thing that the, okay. you have a middle initial that's the same as your wife's Yeah, first so I initial. just said, okay, just change it all to S.J. Holitz. Oh, okay. Uh, what bullshit? So Absolutely. we figured it out, though. They were asking us. You know why we wanted to do this, and it was our fault. We didn't give the right answer. If we had said something like, yes, we've been getting perverted phone calls from a stalker, I bet they would have changed that shit in a heartbeat. I bet it was that we did not give the right answer to the question, why do you want to change this? Or what if you would have said we're getting a divorce? Yeah, there are any number of reasons. It's bullshit. I mean, it can be done. And physically, this guy was being a gatekeeper for no reason other than some bullshit phone company policies. And that, my friend, pisses me off. I hope he slashed his tires. Ugh. You know what we need? We need, we need some good rock and Mephiscopheles to get us out of this. this Actually, before we get to that, why don't we oh. check out a voicemail? All right. You know, it's been so goddamn long since we last podcasted. I, I'm glad that I remembered this because it's brilliant. This is our good friend Skiznot. Hello, bone batters. This is Skiznot, and I'm stuck in a spaceship. It's a long story, another podcast, but I'm using this free time to, to send voicemails, and I keep meaning to voicemail you guys because I had some thoughts, but some of these go to podcasts that happened a long time ago. I just keep putting it off, and I'm like, I got three weeks to do the voicemail, and then and then it's all oh, there's a new bone bat and it's already my material's no longer fresh but I don't care first of all I want you guys to know that you reached a special milestone and I was listening to Steve walk around a haunted house and that's when I realized I've been listening to the bone bat show for one year so congratulations on having me as a listener for one year because I listen <laughs> and I pay attention to every word Okay, and the other thing is funny thing that happened a while back. You had these two rappers, and they were like um, called R two D two and Big Bird, I think. And they were talking about how the word geek is being overused, and we should start using the word wang. And I just think that's a great idea. And so when my computer broke, I got the yellow pages and, and called the Wang Squad to come fix it. And <laughs> I live in San Francisco, so uh, there actually was a number for the Wang Squad, and yeah, it was very, very strange, and there was a lot of music by Yaz going on, and, and uh, there was some explaining to do when, when my wife walked in with me and the Wang Squad. <laughs> and speaking of my wife, she loves the Angry Birds, and I know you guys were talking about the Angry Birds, and... And recently, we, we were at an airport, and, you know, we were kind of tired. I guess we were in, uh, what's that place, Las Vegas, you know, and I had sunglasses and a hood because it was way too bright. And just to let you know, when you're at the airport, it's great to play Angry Birds, but you want to be careful about talking about playing Angry Birds. Because when people hear you say, you know, we're going to, drop the bombs on the buildings of those damn pigs and the the structures will collapse around the imperialist pigs and we will and we need more 
bombs and more eggs and, and then they get confused but just so you know it's it's a good idea because because then people get nervous it's a good idea to play angry birds at the airport but don't talk about angry birds at the airport okay that's all i'm not pissed off or anything i'm just stuck in a spaceship and and um i'm loving the show and i think maybe Whatever's going on in your episode right now, I'll probably voicemail about it in six months. Take care, bone, boner bets. <laughs> wow. What's he doing in a spaceship? I don't know. I, I need to hear more about that. But you know what? Skiznot does the best sounding voicemails in the business. For sure. Yeah. It, it, Remember the like, one with all the Muppets? Yeah. I, I, it's almost like I want to bathe and slip my wrists in his voicemail. <laughs> Wow. You know what's going to be cool is six months from now, when he finally voicemails us again, it will be our two-year anniversary with him as a listener. It will, won't it? (laughs) That's cause for celebration. That is definitely the cause for celebration. So, dude, do you have a political rant this week? Yeah, I I got a political rant, a political sports rant. By the time this podcast goes live, maybe this will all be sorted out, maybe not. But the Sacramento Kings the basketball team, is probably leaving Sacramento, going to Anaheim. And it's causing a lot of people to to tear their hair and gnash their teeth and go, woe is me. And as far as I'm concerned, good riddance. I used to be a big Kings fan. It was like when they had Jason Williams and Peja Stojakovic and and like all of a sudden they'd gone from being a really crappy team to being a team that was fun to watch. I got into it and I started watching and and I became the guy that would watch all the games. And if the game wasn't on TV, I would listen to it on the radio. I got really into it. And then as I got into it, I started becoming maybe a little bit too aware of the Kings. And I started thinking, man, the ownership of the Kings, these guys are really kind of assholes. They're always trying to hit up the taxpayers in Sacramento for a new arena or for concessions, for essentially getting the voters, just the, the citizens of the area, to subsidize their own private business. And the, the libertarian in me just is going, as much as I love the Kings, you know, it's it's your company. I don't know why why you need to be subsidized. Mm-hmm. Not like you're providing a jillion jobs. You're paying, like, big wages to about 20 guys, and then some part-time minimum wage folks get a job. That's not great. And then Chris Weber became... He was never really that good, but he was just, everyone kissed his ass. He, he was a prima donna. And the more you get to know these players, it was, there were a few really good guys, like like Vlade Divac did, did and does a lot for kids, but most of these are just rich assholes. And some of them are rich assholes that abuse animals or beat their girls or, you know, they're not the kind of guy I want to hang around with. And so it's really hard for me to actually root for them on TV. So you get management, which is trying to, suck money out of the taxpayers for their own private company. You get the players, most of which are not really good human beings to start with, and these guys are all just richer than I'll ever be, and now they're threatening to move away. Oh, we're going to Anaheim. We get a better deal there. Someone's going to float us a better loan. Fucking go. I don't care, man. Go hit the people of Los Angeles up for some more money, because damn it, we don't like you anymore. And the people that are crying and screaming and saying it's you know Sacramento pride it's a pride thing really how much pride do you have that these guys want to leave 
they want to get the hell out of your out of your neighborhood and you want to somehow force them to stay you're that proud if you're really proud if you're really proud of your community you'd say i don't need your arrogant millionaire ass here that's just trying to suck money out of the taxpayers go away you know i i don't really agree with that though and here's why i mean yes what you're saying is true about the owners but to me there's a certain public trust about having a team in a city that that team in a way belongs to that municipality you know and to me it sucks when the sonics moved away and went to fucking oklahoma city that sucked for the kids who could not grow up watching those games on TV and wanting to become a basketball player and busting their ass in junior league and in high school to do so. You know, that takes away a certain something, I think, from a community. And I thought I think that absolutely blew when the Sonics left. And I haven't watched an NBA game of any type since. When they left, did you feel the need to try to bring them back? Did you say, oh, God, no, stay, stay. We really have to have you here while they were saying, no, we don't want to be around? No, be, but... I, I want an NBA team here. I hope that someday they have an expansion or another team moves here for the same reason, that I want kids of junior high and high school age who are into sports to be able to look up to a home team as opposed to, you know, some superstar from Atlanta or wherever the fuck. You know what I mean? To, to have a team be important to them because it's their own team as opposed to just, you know, everybody is an individual out for themselves. Yeah, but it isn't their own team. Maybe that's kind of a crappy lesson to teach them. It's just a team that's sucking them as much money as they can out of that neighborhood and selling it as some sort of neighborhood pride until they get a better deal somewhere else and then they skip town. Yeah, uh, maybe. I don't know. I mean, as a you know, a big fan of the Seahawks, you know, I consider them a, an important part of Seattle, an important part of the sports community, and it would yeah, it would so, bug the shit out of me if they wanted to leave. Yeah, if they wanted to leave, if they said. Look, Steve, I need you to pay some more taxes. I know you're already buying tickets, but we got to pay our players some more money, and I got to put some more money in my own pocket. So, Steve, will you please give me that money? And if you don't, I'm going to go somewhere else because I really don't care where I am. I don't well, care if I'm in Seattle or if I'm in San Diego. Quest Field was publicly funded. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. Which is kind of crap. If you and, think about you know, it. Paul Allen was one of these men of vision that can make things like that happen. Yeah. You know, Mayor Daly in Chicago is another person. Like, you know, there are people in this world that can make things like that happen. There are. And the owners of the Kings are not those fucking guys. (laughs) (laughs) But I don't care where you are. I don't think that a private... I just think you can be proud of something. If it's a private entity, it does need to be publicly funded. Yeah. I, I see what you're saying, like I said, though, but... I, I don't know. To me, a team is more than just what you're boiling it down to. I mean, I, I think that the, the epitome of the perfect situation is having a team like the Green Bay Packers that is actually owned by the city of Green Bay. I yeah. would like to see a lot more of that. I think that is a cool thing. Where yeah. you, your stockholders are essentially the season ticket holders. Yeah, that's fine. I have no problem with that. But a couple of gangsters in the casino industry that, you know plop a team down locally and then pretend to be all proud of the community and say that's why they're there and then they take off and they get a better deal somewhere else fuck them maybe the lesson your kids should be learning is (laughs) don't put your faith in professional athletes and don't let that form any kind of part of your identity 
be proud of your school, your parents, your your actual real part of the community, not just the ones that are there because that's where they can get the most of your money. Yeah, hey, that's so my political rant. Is Vlade Divac's program for helping children called Flopping for Kids? <laughs> it is. Yeah, it's he does a an American version. It's flops across America. <laughs> Fuck that guy. And then he does a, you know European him. one. It's the a, fact you know. that he ever got a foul called on another guy ever is seriously criminal. That pisses me off more than the Kings leaving. Uh, he was the king of the flop. You know, he had a restaurant in Sacramento, and I always wanted to draw a cartoon, but I just didn't think it would be funny outside of Sacramento. You know, Vlade's restaurant and. It's waiters flopping over. I don't know. It just never quite worked. But yeah, the dude would flop at a drop of a hat. You you could walk near him and he'd fall over and grab an ankle. <laughs> All right, so let's listen to some kick-ass music now. Take it away, Crazy Uncle Randy. Hey guys, this is Crazy Uncle Randy from the Drunken Zombie Podcast on the 66th episode of the Bone Bat Show. Mephiscopheles is one of the first ska bands I absolutely loved, uh, using so many different styles and mixing to make their own sound. So many great songs like Saba, Doomsday, and Bumblebee Tuna. This New York City ska band left their mark on third wave ska. Sit back and enjoy. This is Doomsday. God bless Satan. Hey, what's this button for?
Once again, that was Doomsday from the unreleased Demon EP by the mighty Mephiscopheles. And joining us now is Brendog Tween, the guitarist of that band. How you doing, sir? All right, man. How you doing? Very well. It's such a thrill to have you on the show. Because as I mentioned before to Gord, Mephiscopheles is just one of the head-catchingest-fucking-bands that I can remember out of the ska scene. It's true. He said head-catchingest. (laughs) Head-catchingest. I coined that shit. Because, you know, Doomsday, Bumblebee Tuna, Saba, a whole bunch of great tunes that are just always fun to listen to, a little bit of edge to them. Great stuff, man. Well, you know, thanks. Um, it just goes to show you that adding a fourth chord invariably fucks things up. So keep <laughs> it at three and you're doing fine. There you, you know? go. Yeah. So how did Mephiscopheles get started, man? Oh, man. You know, uh, our other guest who I, I guess wasn't able to make it, Michael the Virgin and I were roommates mm-hmm. back in the 80s. And I had just finished playing with a, a hardcore band. I was in this hardcore band called the Shaved Pigs back, you know, back in the 80s. And, I think um, Steve dated one of them. <laughs> hey, easy. Oh, <laughs> hey, oh. <laughs> well, you know, so we were listening to a lot of ska, like the specials in particular, right? Mm-hmm. Neither of us particularly liked much of the happy ska crap, you know, so it was mm-hmm. like more Clash and Selector, the specials and that sort of thing. And, you know, like, hey, what the hell, let's do a ska band. And so we got a few of our friends, Brian Underpants, Martin, and mm. uh, the Nubian Nightmare, who was a friend of mine from school back in the 80s. We got together and we started doing some songs. There was a whole... Originally, we had two singers, this Jamaican dude, whose name was Ray, and on tenor sax and baritone sax, which you can hear on the demo, was this guy Dave Doris. Uh, originally, the trombone player was this guy named Rick Sanford, who... You know, he's still around. He's still doing stuff, runs a little label. And uh, we basically started out with the Bumblebee Tuna song Mm -hmm. because I went to high school with one of the kids that sang on the original jingle. No shit. Oh, no way. Yeah, seriously. And when we were in high school, we'd go to her house after school, hang out, and like spin a, a little 45 she had of that recording session that they did for the jingle. And it stuck with me. And uh, that was really Mef's first song, you know, because it was a cover. Mm-hmm. It's always easier to start with covers, you know. And the rest is history, you know. Eventually, Rick Sanford left and was replaced with Greg Robinson. This English dude named James, uh, whose last name escapes me, left uh, and was replaced by Osho on trumpet. We brought in Alexander McCabe. We went through bass players. Originally, the bass player was this dude, Vitell Cherry. Vitell ended up quitting. And we got Mike Bits, and that was basically the way the band stayed for a long time. And so that was prior to God Bless Satan, and yeah, around hey, the time you hey. got signed by Moon? And we were never signed by Moon. Oh, really? Um, okay. 
we, yeah, no, we were always either in, engaged in a production and distribution deal or we were self-produced. The original, if you actually have one of the 1991 or 93 versions of God Bless Satan. I do um, right here. Yeah, it's on Past the Virgin Music, and that's our label. Oh, I guess I don't know this one is. Yeah, oh, it says all songs 1994 Past the Virgin, but it does have the Moonscott logo on right. it. But it says that, 94. That, the, the 93 version of it um, has a little salt a little salt shaker on it and says Past the Virgin Music. And then we got into the P&D deal with Moon, mm-hmm. uh, which was great, you know, because, I mean, Moon, you know, for all the problems that Moon had, you know, despite those... You know, and they really did come later when they had a criminal running the business for them. You know, Bucket was one of the hardest working guys in the music industry at that time, you know. And before Moon got, quote, big, you know, he was really careful about the bands he signed. And he was very thoughtful about it, you know. And he he really wanted to do it because he loved the music more than he wanted to make money. But then Moon got bigger. It eventually got out of control and became a monolith. Right. You know, which is Moon's name now, actually. <laughs> Monolith Records, I think. And then after that, you know, there was the deal with Koch that came at toward the end of the band mm-hmm. um, when everybody started fighting like crazy because money gets involved and band ends up splitting up, you know. Yeah, sure. It is the old historian music. Um, and it's basically, you know, what happened to us. And so we, we've largely been inactive. I mean, I haven't talked to any of these guys. I haven't talked to the Nubian Nightmare in... God, six, seven years probably. I talk to Michael all the time. I talk to Osho occasionally. Um, I've been in touch with Bits, but besides that, Brian lives out in you know out somewhere in the middle of the country now, and uh, Greg is around. He he actually is on the on the road with the Toasters right now, I think. But yeah, so you know, a lot of times gone by. We're we're hoping that we can actually. Uh, get something going you know well, that, yeah well you know there's going to be so much demand after this bone bat show hits i don't yeah, see how all you, of our listeners yeah I, I don't see how you're not going to reform so, <laughs> so so tell me a little bit about the scene right in in those early years i mean you had you know third wave ska was really hitting it big yeah you had the toasters yeah. going on national tours and things like oh. that and i mean it was a really cool time for ska did you get oh. some awesome tours in as well oh man you know we for, from about 93 until probably 97 or 98, we were playing 275 shows a year. You know, Damn. which, yeah, you think about it. We went to 36 countries. I think I counted once. And I, I think the number was 36. Um, Steve can't even name and, 36 countries. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I mean, if you count the duchy in between Monaco and France, <laughs> then you could do that pretty quickly. But. You know, seriously, I mean, we, we went all over the world, you know. We had a great time, and we made money, you know. God bless Satan. We were on MTV, you know, and the video for Doomsday ended up in in regular rotation on MTV, you know. So it was easy to get gigs, you know. The first album, God bless Satan, sold around 150,000 copies, which, you know, was probably makes it one of the biggest independent releases ever. You know, it did great, and we had a great time. The, the scene in New York, we actually had... The record attendance at the Wetlands Club in New York, which you know is gone now, but was a great place, and it was like twenty two hundred people came to the Wetlands to see <laughs> Mephistopheles. You know, it was yeah. ridiculous. But the Wetlands was horrible to begin with. You know, in terms of like being in the audience, we used to call it the sweat glands um, <laughs> because it was so tight. But with all those people in there, it was insane. You know, mm-hmm. and if you go on YouTube, somebody actually videotaped a Meph show 
uh, and put it up the entire show up on uh, YouTube um, from the wetlands in 97 and that was the show there were like 2200 people at that show which was the all-time attendance record at the wetlands they had middle tier national acts soul coughing used to play there all the time spin doctors mm -hmm. were like a regular were regulars at the wetlands that sort of thing but yeah man we had a great time on the road you know traveling around stuff so after the manic satanic attack of god bless <laughs> satan uh, two years later, you released Maximum Perversion, where it, it seemed like it had much more of a laid-back vibe to it. Were you kind of listening to some more trad stuff and, and things of that nature? Or, or what was the writing process going between well, the two albums? You know, with the first album, God Bless Satan, was largely written by the, the guys in the band that had been in punk bands, you know? And then Maximum Perversion was written by the jazz players in the band. Yeah, that's definitely a jazzier vibe. That makes a lot right. of sense. Um, a, a lot of that album was written by the horns, you know, and these mm -hmm. are all like music school guys. Whereas, you know, I never took a guitar lesson in my entire life. You know what I mean? So <laughs> my, my approach to writing songs was like, oh, you want to add a fourth chord? Why? <laughs> you know, <laughs> but those guys, you know, they wrote these complex form based songs that, you know, were definitely far jazzier. Mm -hmm. um, but the jazz influence, you know, I mean, everybody was listening to the Scatolites at the time, you know. Sure. The guys in the band, nobody really ever listened to ska. Mm -hmm. That was one of the things that I think was probably the band's greatest strength is that nobody listened to ska. You know, we just, we wrote it, you know, and we'd always, people would give us CDs and tapes and stuff, and we'd always give them a listen. But in rotation, when we were on the road, the radio was always blasting out like, oi, you know, we're listening to like the business and angelic upstarts, you know, that that kind of stuff. Mm. And then, you know, when one of the horn players was driving, we'd have to suffer jazz, you know. <laughs> and so we knew the style and we liked it. You know, it's just nobody else was really doing anything that appealed to us, mm -hmm. you know, really that much. Although there were a lot of ska bands we liked a lot, you know. Mm. And other bands that weren't ska, like the Blue Meanies, you know, to this day, still one of my favorite bands. It's funny you yeah. should mention them. Gord is a huge fan. Oh, yeah. yeah. And they said, yeah. what do they say? We're not your usual ska core, ska core, <laughs> yeah. ska thing. <laughs> exactly, you know. We toured with them four or five times, and it, it was always great going on tour with the Blue Meanies. That was one band that never got their due, man. You know, they were such a great band. Even when they wrote that tune with Belinda Carlisle and released the last album that they did, I, I can't think of the name offhand, which was like, it was on CBS or something, you know, I mean, they were, it was a major label production and they, they poured so much money into it that in terms of like the Blue Meanies, man, it was utterly soulless, you know? Yeah. It was, it was such a major label product. It, it was a product more than it was an album, you know? Was that uh, Third Wave? Is that what that one was? Yeah, yeah, Third Wave, right. Yeah, very, very disappointing. Oh, yeah. They were one of those bands where as soon as I saw the name on the album, I bought it because it's Blue Meanies. Of course, it's going right. to be great. So that, that was a that was a, kind of a disappointment there. Yeah, I know. Because those, those horns they had, they had but two horn players, and yep. they sounded like an army of horn players. They, it, they were tight, so, so fast and so tight. I know. and It was, and, like, it was it, like a gang fight with the horns going. Yeah, seriously. <laughs> Everybody in that band was like an absolute top-notch musician. And they wrote hard songs, you know, but they could back them up. You know, and this is another band. They, those guys were on the road constantly. They probably played more shows than we did, you know, in the 90s. Just because they never took breaks, you know. They lived on the road. 
and they all lived together in, in a house in Chicago, you know. They were like a cult, you know, <laughs> the, the cult of the Blue Meanies. But, um, but really, you know, like I said, you know, one of the great bands from the 90s that really never got their due, you know. Absolutely. And, you know, as, as sick as this is, um, I kind of thought that after the uh, Hurricane Katrina tragedy and what happened to the Ninth Ward, that yeah. someone would pick up on that Blue Meanie song, The Devil Came to the Ninth Ward, and like yeah, make it. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know that didn't happen. That was interesting, and it's funny because they did. I don't think they meant the ninth ward in New Orleans. I think. Oh, I'm sure they didn't. But oh, that, didn't. that wouldn't stop a song from becoming popular. Well, they have uh, you know Iggy Pop yeah. singing a song about overcoming addiction to advertise Carnival Cruises. What the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it's it doesn't really have to make sense, does it? No, not at all. No, and it rarely does, even when they try to. So you know, oftentimes uh, my wife will be humming some happy little tune. I'm like, "You realize what that song's about?" No, <laughs> <laughs> that was he wrote that right, the dude wrote it right before he shot himself. Yeah, <laughs> my kids shot himself in his own anus with a shotgun as he was writing that song. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> my kids' school was singing "Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds" for like their choir class, and I was wow. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> my wife well, knows. Yeah, you know that's acid, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, my, my brother went to a Catholic high school, you know, and, you know, this is in the 90s. He's 35, you know, so it was, I guess, about, what, 91, 92. And the band he was in played at a uh, battle of the bands for the school, and they played Rape Me. <laughs> and, you know, the, the, Nirvana, the Nirvana song. song yeah. Yeah, and uh, and I guess the priest running it didn't didn't know the song or didn't understand you know, the song, so they unplugged them. <laughs> Just <laughs> like was... Saturday Night Live, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, Pete, like, no, it's the classic Pete Seeger story, you know, when Bob Dylan showed up at that folk festival with an electric guitar. Right. You know, Pete Seeger goes and and chops the the power cable with an axe. You know. <laughs> You know, people just don't get it, man. They just don't get it. But the devil came to the ninth ward. I forgot about that. That's right. That that it's a great song too. Huh. So, did you ever get much shit as being Satanist with oh, the absolutely. vibe of the band? Oh my god, totally. We played a show in Chicago, and a bunch of protesters came and were outside. It was at the Metro in Chicago, and a Christian group actually organized a protest. You know, it's like Satan go home. Um, <laughs> we are home. I know, right? <laughs> it's fucking Chicago. Totally, totally. Yeah, so, you know, but, I mean, our mailbox, every day we'd get some, like, you know, no water in hell kind of thing, like one of those Jack T. Chick comic books or something. Oh, like yeah. That. Yeah, you get them in the in the mail all the time. So, yes, we caught a ton of shit for it. Down south, we played, we played a show out in um, Panama City, Florida, which, you know, was freaking scary because, <laughs> you know, just getting there – you're driving across these bayous, you know, on these lonely country roads. It's like, please don't break down. Please don't break down. <laughs> and um, and in Panama City, I was wearing a shirt that was a uh, play on the Coca-Cola logo. It said, you know, uh, everything is better with Jesus or something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, first, some dude comes up to me and says, I like your shirt. <laughs> you know, I'm like, oh, okay. You're not really understanding irony, are you? <laughs> and then after the show, he's like, that ain't funny. Messing with our Lord and Savior, you know, and just the guy was about ready to start swinging. But the security people got him out of there. So it was, you know, nothing happened. But 
yeah, but yeah, I mean, we used to catch shit for it all the time. We really did. And, you know, we always laughed it off, you know, because, I mean, it's like, lighten up, people. Um, so, by- you ever throw any scripture at them? Throw uh, some Bible verses? Yeah. <laughs> if I knew any. That, that would confuse them. <laughs> yeah, I know. Seriously. So you well, don't. There's great Bible verses. You should just you should just memorize a couple just to throw out there. <laughs> like, if uh, I ever have the need to, I will. <laughs> Ezekiel twenty twenty one is uh, yeah, right. She right. lusted after her lovers, whose genitals were like those of donkeys, and whose emission was like that of horses. Wow, <laughs> that's really? straight out of the Bible, man. You never know when you might need a verse like that. Oh goodness! Well, I had no idea. I, I, sh- I guess I should read it. <laughs> just the naughty bits yeah right Leviticus 18 man <laughs> thou shalt not lie with your your brother as though he is your wife something yeah. like that there you, go. <laughs> you do come across these things occasionally we used to keep a copy of the satanic bible somewhere very visible whenever we traveled you know just <laughs> to mess with people like sitting um, on the dashboard of the van or something yeah exactly where does one even get a copy of the satanic bible you used to be oh, able to get it like at Walden Books Oh, really? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Wow. I had no idea. Yeah, it's actually, you know, it's it, there's not much to it, actually. It's it's basically a rant by Anton Zandor LeVay, and not really very substantial. But hey, man, you know, it makes people happy or sad, <laughs> whatever. So it's kind of like having Vaughn on our show. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well. All right, so by 1999, you guys released Mighty Waite, which was a kind of a heavier, more metallic release, but it, it sounded like almost a completely different band, and by that point, in fact, it kind of was. Yeah, it was. The Nubian Nightmare, who at that point changed his name to something else. Uh, Let's see, here in Maximum we, Perversion, I believe he's listed as in Lord, Grand Lord Invidious or something? Was yeah, that the Grand Invidious, right. that's right. And for Maite Waite, he called himself Grilly, I think. Mm-hmm. Which was, you know, a takeoff on Gorilla, really, I think. I don't know. I never asked him. Um, and, yeah, but, you know, if you look at the lineup, the band was completely different. I was out. The only people who were still in the band at that point, I believe, were the Nubian Nightmare. Wayne Dutton. Brian and Greg. Okay. Oh, From right. Original. Wayne was still in the band. But, you know, Wayne... Wayne was like a session player, you know? I mean, Wayne was a professional drummer. Before he was in Mephiscopheles, he was in the pit for Cats on Broadway. Oh, wow. Really? You know? I'm, yeah. yeah. Not skanking was, in the pit, though, was he? Yeah, right. Not that kind of pit. You know, like the Broadway pit. Um, which there's... I don't think they're nearly as much fun. But, like, he was in the Union and stuff. And he was a very serious musician. And, I, interestingly, you know, Wayne was a tremendous drummer. I mean, the guy was like a metronome, you know? But Wayne's first instrument was actually piano. He was a virtuoso pianist. And he used to bring a little keyboard along with him, and he'd just like, be banging away at it all day and night, you know, playing uh, classical stuff. Hmm. So, you know, I mean, Wayne's contribution to the sound certainly was important. But Meph, you know, in my mind, God Bless Satan is like the quintessential Meph record, you know? Yeah. Probably because the four of us... Brian, Michael, me, and Nubian Nightmare pretty much wrote the whole thing together, you know, and we added players and people left over time until we got into the studio and recorded that. Later on, it was like, you know, people came and went, and by the time Maite Waite came out, you know, like most of the band wasn't in the band anymore. Mm -hmm. Dan Jesselson, I think, played bass on it. 
and Dan's great. He's an upright bass player. I've done stuff with him in the past, um, and he's a great guy. And Bill McKinney played guitar. Somebody else on trumpet. Uh, Nathan Breedlove, it says here. Yeah, right, right. Nathan Breedlove was on it. So he basically had a completely different band. Mm-hmm. And the touring version of that was smaller, too. I, I only think they took two horns on the road with them when they went. Oh, wow. So, and then after that, just the band kind of imploded? There just wasn't enough centrifugal force, I guess, to keep it together? It, no, there was, a, there was a tremendous amount of acrimony, which I think is inevitable when you're on the road with people constantly for months at a time, mm-hmm. you know? And then the lawyers got involved. People started suing each other and blah, 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 and it just got ugly. And so it got to a point where it was like, oh, fuck it, you know? Yeah. And, you know, Koch dropped the band because I think, you know, the, the sales for Maite Waite weren't what they were hoping. Right. Well, and um, then they kind of turned into a metal label, too, didn't they? Yeah. yeah. Well, no, Koch is a huge, a huge European major. Oh, okay. Velvel was the sub-imprint, but I think Velvel ended up going out of, out of business before the album came out. So the album actually was released on Koch itself. Mm-hmm. But like I said, you know, I, I think in terms of record sales... God Bless Satan probably accounts for 80, 89, 90%. Maximum Perversion probably for about 8 or 9%, and Maite Waite was like 2%. Yeah. Or at least that. those are the num- last numbers I heard back, you know, like eight years ago, you know? Yeah, sure. And it's a good album, you know? I mean, it, it's very different. I think people that like Mephiscopheles were expecting something else. Yeah, I, I would, you know, you know, everybody wants to hear things that, like, were off of God Bless Satan, I think. That Yeah, I yeah. know, I know. Yeah. It's funny because I, I know I told you this when I emailed you early on in our conversation, but, you know, I listened to the demo in my car, you know, because I, I think it's the best thing we ever recorded. Mm-hmm. It had five horns, you know, and it's got such a rich sound and the interpretations of the songs, the way that we, we did them at that time, which to me, they, it just sounds tremendous. I love it. And then God Bless Satan, you know, like I said, I listen, listen to that, too. Most people probably still listen to God Bless Satan. Yeah, it still gets a lot of play around my house. So. Yeah, my house, too. <laughs> my sister plays it all the time as well. <laughs> all right, man. Well, for our listeners, where can they find your stuff now? Can you still download uh, it off iTunes and stuff like that? Yeah, the usual places, you know, iTunes, Amazon, that kind of thing. Unfortunately, if they actually want to get a physical disc, you got to go to eBay. Because yeah. the album's been out of print for eight years now or so. Yeah, kids these days, they don't buy albums. Hell, yeah, kids I these know. days don't know what Bumblebee Tuna jingle is either. <laughs> <laughs> nope, they're running that jingle again. with that. Are they really? Oh my god, totally. Maybe they don't wow. have these commercials on the West Coast, but they have some weirdo, like, hippie with an acoustic guitar, like, will appear in some poor schmuck's kitchen and start singing yum, yum, bumblebee, you know? <laughs> go, you, go that's on, kind of disturbing. Yeah, it's very disturbing, actually. The, the commercials are really creepy. They're creepy like those friggin' Burger King commercials with the plastic <laughs> oh, with the king. king. Yeah, man. Well, I tell those you, man, you- my kids know. Every time I'm in the kitchen in the morning making their school lunch with a tuna sandwich... Inevitably, <laughs> I start singing and my wife comes skanking into the room. That's how that works. <laughs> That's very funny. You should videotape that and put it on YouTube. <laughs> I man. should. Yeah. So, yeah. Brendog, one last question. We always ask all of our guests here on the Bone Bat Show. What pisses uh-huh. you off, man? Well, you know, I, I was thinking about that, and then the answer came to me very easily today when I saw that polystyrene had died. So I have to say that cancer pisses me off. Oh, no shit. Yeah, did you hear about that? I did. 
How sad is that? She was so great, you know? Yeah, it's it's something that, I don't know, we, we got to take care of one of these days. Yeah, dude, I know. And it really, really sucks. So, you know, what they say, like this friend of mine, Phil Kellum, said on Facebook, uh, oh, cancer, up yours. <laughs> but no shit. I was just going to say, fuck you, cancer. <laughs> yeah, right. That, there's, that's an option, too, man. <laughs> you know? All right, so uh, what are we going to listen to next, Brendog? Well, I would have to say it would be Saba, wouldn't it? Yes, it would. That is, how, that is how every Mef show ends, so you might as well go with tradition. So tell us a little bit about the song. Oh, man, it is a song I wrote for someone who's very special to me. <laughs> um, <laughs> everybody always wanted to know who that particular person was, but uh, even after all this time, I still can't say. So Good man. All right, Let well, it roll. Well, thank you very much for joining us on the Bone Bat Show, man. It was an absolute pleasure. Yeah, thanks, man. And it was good talking to you guys. And uh, thanks for the opportunity. Yeah, thanks for being on the show. Right on. Anytime. Is this, is this on? Uh, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Um, my name is my name is Brenda, and I'm here to uh, sing a song for you that uh, I wrote for somebody very special. And it's a song that really means a lot to me, and I hope you enjoy it a lot, too. Jesus, this is scary.
Crazy Uncle Randy, and you're listening to The Bone Bat Show. All right, once again, that was Saba by Mephiscopheles from the album God Bless Satan. Thank you again to Brendog for joining us. That was a really fun interview. I had a great time talking to him. However, opinions expressed by guests do not reflect the opinions of Steve Gord and The Bone Bat Show, especially when describing someone as a criminal running a uh, record company that, that, that should have been alleged criminal. Please don't sue us. Aren't <laughs> you just talking about gangsters running a professional sports team? <laughs> you fucking hypocrite. <laughs> I meant alleged gangsters. <laughs> Come on, you, you got a casino and you got a liquor license in Vegas. I You're totally own you, bitch. All right, <laughs> multimedia triage. What are you digging on, man? You know, it's been so long since we fucking did this. This is way too big. You know, this is the thing about our show. We record two episodes, like, about 45 minutes apart. <laughs> and then we go, like, six months until the next episode. So it's either, uh, I don't know, the same book I was reading during the last podcast, or I've already begun and ended a whole series of books. What am I digging on? Embedded by Dan Abnett. Dan Abnett is a sci-fi writer, extraordinaire, comic writer. He... He's one of these guys that is just constantly putting out stuff. He's done some really cool books in the Horus Heresy series. He wrote uh, one of my favorite, really one of my favorite books is that Eisenhorn book. That's actually anyway, a trilogy, yeah. And yeah. Gaunt's Ghost, which you weren't a fan of. Well, I'm really, really not a fan of Gaunt's Ghost. I, I enjoyed those a lot. That series doesn't resonate with me. But he wrote Embedded, which is the story of a, uh, a conflict in the future it is not full of a lot of zappy laser beams, alien technology, and whatnot. It's more like a, a gritty reporter reporting on a conflict that is emerging that the government does not really want to acknowledge, and he's he's trying to trying to get the real story to the public as he's embedded with a a combat unit. I can't really tell you more without giving things away, but it's a cool story. You ought to read it. Cool. Yeah, I will check it out. There's a copy sitting right here. Oh, read that copy. I will. Okay. Uh, Portal 2 finally came out. You let's, know what talk, like. let's talk a little bit about the games we actually played last night. Okay. Portal 2. Fun game. <laughs> yeah. You know what I like about Portal 2 is not just because it's as good as I had hoped it would be, but it constantly makes me feel smart. And not very much makes me feel smart in this world. Yeah, I usually walk around feeling like, man, I'm a dumbass. But you you go and you solve a puzzle in Portal 2. You figure out how to put things so your momentum is conserved and you get from point A to point B. And damn, that makes me feel like I'm not as dumb as I am. Yeah, it makes you proud of yourself. Yeah. That's some then, fun stuff. And then, of course, uh, Mortal Kombat. <laughs> that game is too goddamn much fun. That is a lot of fun. The, the fun part of that, about that game is just looking over at Steve and seeing him how, how he's trying to push every single button at the same time on the control to try to make something happen. I am atrocious at fighting games. For me, it is just an exercise in button smashing as fast as you can. And Mortal Kombat actually rewards this somewhat. <laughs> it does. By having these scenes, these power combos where you hit somebody... And suddenly they go into a black and white x-ray 
and you can watch their bones and skull and spine crack. It is the coolest fucking thing. It is it is hyper violent. And you got way more of those than I did. Yeah, and it was like I, I don't know any combos. It was just sheer dumb luck. Yeah, it's basically because you're squeezing the controller to try to push all the buttons at the same time over and over again <laughs> as fast as you can. But yeah, I had a great time. We must have played like damn near every character that was available. And there's yeah, a lot. I think we did. Yeah, there's a ton of characters. Probably, I don't know what, 35, 30, 40, something like that. Yeah, and I think there's some you can unlock too. I played the six-armed chick and beat the snot out of you. Yeah. Played the robot guys. I did well with Baraka. I did pretty good with uh, Sub-Zero. Scorpion. Yeah, you know, Baraka is not, he looks nothing like the president. He doesn't at all. Yeah. They need to redo that character. That would be badass, though, if, like, during a press conference, these blades shot out of his arms and he disemboweled Congress. <laughs> I was just thinking of, like, a reporter. Uh, Mr. President, <laughs> you sling! Splat! That's just completely clean house. Bringing yeah. a, whole, a whole new bunch of criminals. Alleged criminals. Alleged criminal gangster. Let's see what else. So, uh, Game of Thrones, you watching it, man? I am watching it. I would rather be reading the next book, which is still not out yet. But uh, the series, it is entertaining me. I, I got to give them huge props for putting a lot of boobs in Game of Thrones. Yes, like they did not skimp on the boobage, which is nice. Although sometimes th- there seems to be a certain gratuitousness of trying to make characters seem more black and white in a novel a series of novels where everybody is really really gray yeah but the it like, starts out pretty black and white the books do and, and as they go on it gets gray you know the good guys get bad the bad guys get good yeah but the, i mean like in the in the first episode you know there's a scene that is not in the books well where Tyrion is amongst a bevy of horrors and it's like, oh, Tyrion's extra hoary. Well, he's not that hoary, but First you know all, that they're boiling him a it bad down. Guy. No, not that it does. I'm just saying that's not. He's not that guy. Necessarily, he's a whore guy. He likes he's a, whore. In a whorehouse. He likes a whore, but he's a lover. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> anyway, he's a fighter too. Anyway, but yeah, it's the same thing with like, oh, Robert Baratheon is extra slutty on his wife. Well, you know, we'll get to that later. But there's, there's, there's shit that goes on where it seems to be boiling the characters down a little more than I'd like, but it's a minor gripe. I'm really enjoying the series. And when it hits it, there are great scenes of acting that are, you know, wow, they nailed that scene. The essence of what was in the book is absolutely there on the screen. Yeah, that's true. They do it a lot. Uh, two minor gripes, though. The guy that plays Jon Snow... I don't think he could act his way out of a paper bag. He he just spends most of his time Scowling. looking like he's about to cry. <laughs> and the chick that they got to play the queen, what's her queen? Cersei is that how you say her name? Lena Headley. Yeah, is she's she the not... one that you had like the boner over on, in the Sarah Chronicle? No, Sarah no, Chronicle? I I liked um, I liked uh, oh what's Summer Glau. Glau, yeah, Summer Glau. Oh yeah, but I thought that. Lena was her acting was really uneven in the Sarah Connor Chronicles. There were there were scenes that were painful to watch that it was just like, oh God, just have her read it and we'll shoot the next scene, get it over with. So A, I don't think she's a very good actress. And B, I don't think she's all that great looking. And that character is supposed to be just yum dillyicious. Yeah, yeah. She's not as hot as you would think in the books, but maybe she gets hotter once they get back to King's Landing. I don't know. <laughs> 
How are they going to do that? Switch her out with Summer Glau? No, she's just, you know, she's in the north. It's cold. You'll bundle up more. Maybe your clothes will get skimpier when she gets to the south. I think skimpy clothing is not going to help that situation. Hmm. Yeah, but other than that, I, I approve. I like it. It's good. Good stuff. Watch it. Game of Thrones. And by the way, if you're thinking, I want to watch Game of Thrones, but I don't have HBO, I was in that boat. I called up my local cable or dish, whatever the heck, dish provider and said, how much for HBO? And then let the conversation go for a while. They told me, and then I said, well, maybe I should just cancel my my subscription since I'm on month-to-month with you guys. Sign up with your competitor, and they'll throw in HBO for free. What do you know? After a while... My monthly dish bill was less, and I had HBO without committing to a new contract. You, too, can manipulate your uh, dish provider. Do it. Yes. We have a completely different system. We're on cable, and we also got 90 days of free HBO, which works out perfectly for a 10-week series. Yeah. There you go. So do it. Also, I think I mentioned since uh, we last convened, a week ago, Amon Amarth from episode 64. I saw them live in Seattle. Great fucking show, dude. Oh, cool. I, I actually was able to get a photo pass. I was down in front. I got I got a lot of cool pictures that I'm going to post on the site. And Wait, they let you mingle with actual journalists? Yes. Yeah, I was absolutely the, the biggest idiot in that crowd. That was, <laughs> it was pretty funny. Everybody's got their, you know, 97 millimeter lenses and I'm jumping around with my point and shoot trying to get the little thing you got in a box of lucky charms on the stage yeah you know it's badass it's good to to, you know you can impress the photographers when you open up the camera by ripping open the zipper bag right there (laughs) in front of them that's impressive oh man (laughs) those guys have lenses that cost more than your whole camera (laughs) yeah probably some more than my truck yeah anyway and yet Who's the bigger fool? Because you're right up there on the stage. Yeah, well, there you go. Uh, also went to NorwestCon last weekend. Uh, saw Death Star Live. Another great Bone Bat Show band. And man, dude, they, they, that was their crowd. In a sci-fi fantasy crowd who got every joke, they were amazing. It was so much fun to watch them. Cool. Played a couple of new songs I hadn't heard before. A lot of fun. All right. Uh, and then finally, uh, another previous Bone Bat alumnus, the Pine Box Boys' brand new album, Tales from the Emancipated Head, just hit. Yeah, I've heard a few songs off that disc, and they are good. It is fantastic. As you may remember Lester talking about, it is a concept album about a poet's disembodied head as it rolls down Confusion Hill. And the, his last moments are played out in musical tales before you. 13 tales to terrorize. It's fucking great. Pick it up. Pineboxboys.com. There you go. Right, Do we dude. start having to call these bands bone batters like Skiznot calls us? I don't know. But that it's, sounds perilously close to baby batter. It That's makes me proud, else. though, to have, you know, have had so many cool bands on the show that we can point to and say, go pick up their new shit, man. Yeah. You've heard them. You heard them here. And you may have even heard them here first. Maybe. So, filthy jokes. What do you say? Filthy jokes. So, a beer company, allegedly Coors, held a contest to select a slogan for the new beer they just developed. And they advertised all over and received thousands of submissions. And a panel of judges finally settled on one particular entry for their new slogan. 
Love on a Lake. The president of the company said, I like the name, but I'm puzzled. I'm puzzled how the contestant selected the name. If he can explain the meaning of this slogan to me, I will give him the prize. So he called the winner and asked for an explanation. The guy said, well, love on a lake is fucking close to water. And that's what that beer tasted like to me. Fucking close to water. <laughs> I like that because it well, has two meanings. Yeah, yeah, that's that. That's great. The double you know, on beer drink. Speaking of beer, not close to water. I'm actually drinking right now a bottle, a big ass bottle of Elysian Original Red that was given to me by Matt and Shannon of Seattle Geekly at NorwestCon as a birthday gift. Thanks, guys. Cheers. Oh, that's sweet. That was I'm, totally sweet of them. And I'm so I saved a bottle it. of water that I had to buy with my own money. <laughs> yeah, I win. <laughs> but yeah, I just I wanted to save this and, you know, have it on the show as a salute to them. So thanks, guys. Salute. SeattleGeekly.com. You got a filthy joke? I do. So this young man goes to the cinema, and he's sitting there watching the movie, and he sees a very attractive young lady down the aisle from him. And the interesting thing is that she, she appears to have her hands, both hands, under her skirt, just fingering herself furiously. And so he, he kind of scoots down. The, you know, this is kind of exciting for him, so he scoots down and sits next to her, and she sort of smiles at him. And so he reaches down and starts to help her out. And he fingers her himself, just going at it, using every technique he has to bring her pleasure. And he does it until his hand is numb and limp and just about to fall off. He can no longer move his fingers anymore. And so finally he withdraws his hand. And he's surprised to see that she goes back to work on herself with both hands. And he, he, he leans over and whispers, you know, kind of sheepishly, wasn't I good enough? And she says, you were great, but these crabs are still driving me crazy. Oh, oh no, crab hand. So thank He's you. He's going to be like Lobster Boy. <laughs> Isn't that a character in Hellboy, Lobster Johnson? I think so. I don't, I don't know if they had that in mind, Lobster Johnson. I wouldn't want to have a Lobster Johnson. No, you wouldn't. That carapace gets real uncomfortable. <laughs> Thank yous. I'd like to, of course, thank Brendog Tween and Mephiscopheles for the use of your incredible music. I would like to thank Skiznot for the awesome voicemail. And I would like to thank Crazy Uncle Randy from Drunken Zombie for joining us with some cool intros. Thanks, man. DrunkenZombie.com, one of the best podcasts out there. Give them a listen. Our usual bullshit, show phone number, 425-296-6557. Or you can reach the show via email at steveatbonehand.com. We've got new content every Sunday, including the Heavy Half Hour, which last week was my birthday celebration. It is a fun show. you got to check it out. And you can find my weekly cartoon at mightywombat.com. And you can follow me on Twitter when I actually do the Twitter thing at mighty underscore wombat. You can follow me on Twitter as well. I'm Bonehand over there. Or you can follow the show feed, which is Bone to Bat. We also have a Bone Bat Facebook group, if that is your cup of tea. And if you like what we do, please spread the word and tell a friend. Just one friend. That's all we ask. If everybody who listens tells one friend, listen to the Bone Bat Show, we will 
We'll have one more listener. (laughs) Exactly. And of course, thank you all for listening. All right, our last tune tonight is the aforementioned Bumblebee Tuna Song by Mephiscopheles. Once again. Bumblebee Bumblebee. You kids, you learned the song. Know this. Once again, I'm Steve. And this is Gord. Have a good one. I do have a good one.
66, that's a very good coincidence, that number. It's no coincidence, my friend. That's why I sought you out. You're going to have to get us back for your 666th episode as well. Deal. (laughs) If we make it to 666 episodes and we're all still alive, that's We haven't killed each other yet. (laughs) Well, you know, it should only be about, what, 400 years? Yeah, exactly. 